John 17. So we've been last night at Jesus' life for a long time for us, a lot longer for us than it was for him. And he's praying, and this is the longest recorded prayer in all of, uh, of Jesus in all of the Bible, and it's a pastoral prayer. He's a shepherd, so think about it like that, this posture. Good shepherd praying for his sheep, who he knows are about to be scattered. He's about to be arrested, they're about to be scattered, and then he knows he's going to die, he's going to come back, he's going to be raised again. But he also knows he's then going to leave. He's going to ascend to the right hand of his father. And so all of that is background and context for how and why and what he is praying. He's prayed for himself, and then we're going to look today at how he prays both for these 11 followers of his. Judas is out of the picture. These 11 disciples, and then the broader group of people who would come to believe as a result of the ministry of the disciples. So that includes us. And the way I want you processing, we're not going to get into the weeds on the prayer. Everything that he prays, he's already said at some previous point. He's taught the disciples everything he's now praying to the Father. And uh, we've already talked about all of that. And so we're not going to get, again, into the weeds. We're going to look at the three petitions that he um, offers to the Father. We're really only going to look at two. We're going to focus on two just for time's sake. And again, what I want you thinking about is... This is a good shepherd who's praying for his sheep. This is what he wants for them when he leaves them. So when he leaves them alone, these are the things he's asking the Father to do in their lives. So starting in verse 9 of chapter 17. I pray for them, that's the 11 disciples. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me, for they're yours. All I have is yours and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through these 11 disciples. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you. So there's that shift in circumstance. I'm not going to be with them anymore, so here's what I'm asking you to do. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. So that's the first request. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that scripture would be fulfilled. He's talking about Judas. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that, you may, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they're not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. So there's the second request. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for all those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you're in me and I'm in you. So there's the third request, that all may be one. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me, even as you have loved, excuse me, that you have loved them, even as you have loved me. The closing feels a little bit different. Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. 
I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So we'll work backwards. That closing, you see Jesus 1 is saying, my work's going to continue. That's that last little paragraph. He's going to, he's, I'm ascending to the Father. I'm not going to be here. The world doesn't know you, but these guys... They know that you sent me, and I'm going to keep working through them. And what's implied is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' ministry will continue even after he ascends into heaven. You see the relational um, heart of Jesus saying, Father, what I want is for these people to be with me and to know me for who I really am, to see my glory, to know me for, in the fullness of who I am. And I want them to be with me where I am. Again, it's that relational thing. Um, component. Jeremy talked about it. John 17, 3. This is eternal life that we know the Father and the one that he has sent. Working back again, he prays for unity. So that's for us. All the people who would come to know Jesus as a result of the disciples' ministry, he prays that we may be one. We're not going to dive too deep into that uh, for the sake of time, but just so you kind of keep it in your mind, what he's speaking about when he's speaking about unity, there's a relational component and we'll call it a missional component. The relational piece is because we uh, are all rela- because we've all been adopted into one family, and because we all have one father, then we're all brothers and sisters. And so, even if we sing different songs or take communion different ways, or even believe a few different things, if we're all committed to Jesus, then we've all been adopted by His Father, who becomes our Father. And so, we have that relational unity that's grounded in our relationship with the Lord. And then missionally, the, re- the, the purpose of unity is not just to sit around the campfire and sing Kumbaya. The reason we are united is so that the world will know that Jesus is who he said he was. So there's a visible expression of that unity. It's not just warm, fuzzy feelings. John 13, 35, by this I'll know you're my disciples, that you love one another. So that unity takes tangible expression through the way that we love and serve each other. And again, for most, I, I think that unity is for everybody. I feel like it probably hits people like me in my position who lead churches more so than maybe others. We can, we're the ones that tend to slice up and divide the body of Christ more than anybody else. So we're going to move past that pretty quickly. And I want to focus on those first two prayers, uh, petitions that Jesus makes. Protect them from the evil one, sanctify them. So here's what I want you thinking. Uh, Acts 26, 14, Paul is talking about his conversion. He's trying to, he's testifying before this guy named King Agrippa. And he says he's on the road to Damascus and he's going to persecute some Christians. And he sees this bright light and hears a loud voice, falls off his horse. And this voice says to him, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Goad is a pointed stick that you would use if you were plowing a field to keep your oxen moving in the right direction. If they start drifting off the path, you poke them with this stick. And so what God is saying to Paul is, the road that you're taking in your life is not the road that I've laid out for you. And it's going to be hard for you to do that. It's going to hurt. It's going to be difficult for you to continue to live a life other than the one that I've laid out for you. So as we're looking at these prayers, I want you thinking through the, through the context or through the, lit, the lens of where am I kicking against the goads? So Jesus is still praying for us. Hebrews 7, Romans 8 says that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and he's continually, continually making intercession for us. And I don't know everything that he's praying, but he's praying these three things for sure. The context is the same. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. 
and we're left here in a hostile world. So the context for us is the same as the context for these first 11 disciples in John 17. That has not changed, and therefore I would say his prayers for us have not changed. He's praying that we would be one so that people would know that he's who he said he was, the one sent by God to make everything right. He's praying that we would be sanctified, and he's praying that we'd be protected from the evil one. And so, again, those are things that he's praying, and we don't really have a whole lot of say-so in that. So what we want to do, we want to posture ourselves, position ourselves to, uh, we want to surrender or yield to those prayers. We want to cooperate with those prayers. So if what Jesus is praying is, hey, I'm praying that y'all would be one, then we don't want to be trying to figure out how we're better than other Christians or how to make everybody else do things the way that we do them in our church. That's going against his prayer. We want to surrender to what he's praying. And again, specifically, I want you thinking about those two areas, protection from the evil one and consecration. And we'll dig into those just a little bit, and we'll have a few minutes to pray. Protect them from the evil one. So what Jesus is asking for is spiritual protection, not physical protection. So that's important. It's not that he doesn't care about our bodies. He just doesn't care about them as much as he cares about our hearts. He's more concerned with the eternal state of your soul than with the temporary state of your body. And if he has to pick, he's going to pick your heart all day long every time. So what he's praying for, again, it's not sometimes when we hear protection, we think physical safety, and that's okay. That's just not what he's praying for. Ten of the guys that he's praying for will be martyred because of their relationship with him. So either the father doesn't answer his prayer at all, or he means something else. The one exception he gives is Judas, who has betrayed him. He's broken relationship with Jesus. When Jesus is praying for protection, what he's asking for is that relationship continue. You may have grown up in a church where they talked about backsliding. Jesus is praying that the disciples would not backslide, that they would not fall away. He knows they're going to be scattered. When he's arrested, but he's praying that that would be temporary, that the father would preserve relationship with them. That idea of protection is what he's saying is, I want this, the relationship they have with you, father, I want that to continue. And that's done by the power of your name. What does that even mean? In the Bible, a name is associated with the essence of the one named. I think what Jesus is saying is protect them by yourself. Let this be on you. You protect them. They're going to scatter. You watch over them, Father. In Romans 8, 38 and 39, Paul says that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Angels, demons, life, death, height, depth, none of that can separate us. There's nothing external to us that can break relationship that we have with Jesus. Jesus says in John 10 that no one can snatch us from his hand. So the picture I have is Jesus is saying they're going to scatter I'm leaving them in a hostile world. This world hates them just like it, it hates me. They're not of this world any more than I'm of this world. But Father, rather than removing them from the world, what I'm asking you to do is to guard their hearts in the midst of it. By yourself, by your strong hand. You keep a grip on them. Keep a grip on them. That hopefully gives you encouragement, comfort, confidence. Jesus is not going to pull you out. The very next thing he prays is sanctify them, which means send them in. 
He doesn't protect us by removing us. He protects us by his, again, his strong hand, his ability to guard our hearts. Even when we have an enemy who's doing everything he can to pry us out of relationship with him. It's not physical safety. It's spiritual safety. Buckle your seatbelt, lock your doors, wear your helmet. Don't hear me saying that. Just recognize that what Jesus is ultimately wanting from us, his ultimate prayer for us, is for the eternal state of our hearts relative to the Father. He knows 60 years, 80 years, 100 years, it's a blink compared to eternity. And so he's always going to bet and lean towards eternity. Consecrate them or sanctify them. That word sanctify has two different nuances, make holy and set apart for God's purposes, and both of those are in view. Jesus is saying sanctify them, and I think he's saying to the Father, do both, make them holy and set them apart for your own purposes. He says, I'm sending them into the world as you sent me. There's that idea of we have a mission, and Jesus' mission is continuing, and he's, and he's doing that work through us, and he's saying about these 11 disciples, and so by extension, He's saying about us, there's work for you to do. So God set them apart for that and also make them holy. He says, I've set myself apart. I've sanctified myself so that they would be truly sanctified, so that they would be made holy. Paul says that God made him who had no sin to become sinner, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of Christ. That's what Jesus is saying. I've set myself apart for this mission which culminates in my death. And that death will make all of those who follow me holy. And then they can be set apart for this work that I've called them to. Again, very different picture. It's a hostile world and Jesus isn't saying, get them out of it. He's saying, send them into it. Just like, Father, you sent me into a hostile world, I'm sending them into this hostile world. And what I'm asking you to do are these two things. One... Set them apart for the work that I've called them to do. And two, you protect their hearts. Even if not their bodies, you protect their hearts. I don't know how that resonates for you when you think about your own life. When you think about the prayers that you pray for yourself, do they line up at all with those prayers that Jesus is praying for you? You can pray other things. But is this in the background or is this foundational to the prayers that you pray? When you ask God to protect you, are you saying, protect my heart above all else? You guard my relationship with you more than anything else. Are you saying, protect my money or protect my time or protect my place, even protect my loved ones? It's okay to pray all of those things. Just remember what he's praying. Sometimes those things don't, they don't pull apart from one another. But if you have to choose, remember what he's going to choose every time. Do you say, God, I'm praying that you would get involved in all of these areas of my life, my work and my home, these things I'm interested in? That's great. Invite him in. Is there any part of you at any time that you say, God, rather than me just inviting you into what I'm doing, I want to be invited into what you're doing. Does that ever enter for you? Don't hear that as guilt. It's just a question. It's a bit of a shift maybe for some of us. We don't want to kick against the goats. We don't want to live this life that runs 
counter to the life that God has laid out for us. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's going to hurt you to do that over time. Jesus says to these same men who he's praying God would protect, in Matthew and Mark and Luke, he says things to them like, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Who, who wins between a sheep and a wolf? That's how he's sending them out. He says there's going to come a time where people are going to think they're worshiping God when they arrest you and kill you. That's, who, that's the context that he's sending them out among. And that's still true. In large portions of our world, it's not true where we live, but that is still true in large portions of our world. And so for us here in the West, the open, the free, the prosperous West, one of the things for us to keep in mind is these are the prayers of Jesus for his people. And also to remember these are the prayers of a good shepherd. He's not flippant with your life at all. It's not that he doesn't care. That's not it at all. These are the prayers of someone who willingly gave his life for us. One who was sent by a father who willingly gave his son for us. It's a, there's no flippancy here. He's not casual with us. He just recognizes there's billions and billions of people who don't know anything about anything. And the only way they're going to know anything is if somebody tells them. And telling them may be risky. Telling them may be costly. Telling them may be dangerous. And don't allow the fact that something may be risky or costly or dangerous to make you or to make me assume, well, that God can't be in it. Well, then God can't be in it because he wouldn't want me to do anything that may cost me. Have you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? The thing he asked his son to do was costly. Ten of these twelve disciples, the things he asked them to do, cost him everything. Again, it, it doesn't mean that you're going to be in danger, that you're going to lose everything. It doesn't mean that. They're just, I, I think for us, it's just a recognition that it could. We just need to remember what Jesus is praying for us. And it's not necessarily American prayers. They're, they're kingdom prayers tangent many of you are parents when you think about the way you parent and raise your children which kingdom are you preparing them for primarily his or ours which one they don't always pull against one another but at times they do and if you have to choose and if your kids have to choose which side are you going to stand on it could cost them something significant to be obedient even their lives. And that's not an easy thing to say. But what he's praying for more than anything else, more than that they get into the right college, more than that they marry the right person, more than that they have a great family of their own and are happy, more than that they're, they fulfill their potential, the thing that he's praying for them. It's the same thing. He's praying for us. Protect them from the enemy. Keep their hearts close. Even in a hostile world, I'm sending them out. I'm not keeping them from. Hear this for yourself. 
I'm sending them out. I'm not keeping them from. I've set them apart for this work. And it may be costly. And it may be dangerous. And it, it, it may be risky. But God, you're strong enough. By your name. By yourself. Keep them in relationship with you. And do it all. Because there's billions who don't know anything about anything. And they're never going to know. Unless we tell them. Let's pray. So you don't need to hear any guilt or condemnation. I certainly don't want you starting to do stupid things for the sake of doing stupid things. Like There's no value in that. The value is in faithful obedience. Regardless of the consequences. It's not recklessness that God is after. It's faithfulness. We don't take risk just for the sake of taking a risk. It's interesting. Jesus is praying that, and I think he's praying it out loud so the disciples can hear, because he says, the reason I'm praying this is so that... their joy would be full. My joy be in them and their joy to be full. Remember, joy is a, a great delight in your life that's not grounded in your circumstances, but is grounded in your relationship with God. So he's saying it's hostile. Every, the world's going to hate you. You've got an enemy who's seeking to devour you. And I want you to have joy in the midst of that. And the, the only way to have joy in the midst of those circumstances is to constantly be aware of your connection to your Father. He'll remind you of who He is and who you are and what He's doing. He'll remind you of eternity. So all of this, it, it can be heavy, but it's not the intention. I don't want you to kick against the goads. Because it's going to hurt. And he doesn't want you to kick against the goats. Remember, this is the prayer of a good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. He contrasts himself with a hireling who runs when danger comes. Doesn't love the sheep enough to put himself in danger when a wolf comes. Jesus isn't that way. So you can trust him. You can trust him with your life. You can trust him with your loved ones. You can trust him with your money and your time. You can trust him with your career. All your stuff. You can trust him with your business. With your health. He's already demonstrated the lengths that he'll go for you. And he's praying these prayers to a father who loved you so much. He sent his son to die for you. So in the midst of all of that, 
context, which is love. If you're willing, you can pray this in your heart. Only if you're willing. Holy Spirit, would you convict me of any place in my life where I'm kicking against the goads? I want to do that. Would you show me? Something comes to your mind and you're willing to repent. I would encourage you to do so. And you just do that in your heart. God, I acknowledge that in this area, I'm going my own way. And I don't want to do that anymore. So would you forgive me? Would you give me grace to surrender to you in this area of my life? That's our posture. We don't know how all this stuff works out. So what we say to God is, I surrender. I yield. I yield. God, would you give me grace to yield? And then just name that area really specifically. God, I pray that your prayers for me would be answered. Jesus, I pray that the prayers that you're praying, that I would be made holy. Would you do that? The prayers that you're praying that I would be set apart for God's purposes. Would you do that? The prayers that you're praying that we would be one here as the body of Christ in Marietta. Would you do that? And God, the prayer that you're praying, Jesus, this prayer that you're praying that my heart would be protected from the enemy. That even in a hostile world, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, that my relationship with you would remain strong. I pray that that would be so in my life. God, my prayer for the adults in this room, the men and the women, the students who are in this room and up the street, all of our kids and all of their ages is that we would each and all surrender to you. That we would recognize the one who's asking us for our life. Is the one who gave his for us. And from that place of recognition, God, we would trust you with our families, with our finances, with our futures, with our bodies, with our relationships. You're not looking for heroes. You're not even looking for martyrs. You're just looking for obedient followers. And I pray that you would find those here, children, students, and adults. Not so that anybody pats us on the back, but because they're billions who don't know anything about anything. And they need to know that you are who you said you were. That you've come, Jesus, from the Father to make everything right. So however you want to use us to make that happen, we want to surrender and yield to you in that this morning. And God, I pray for everyone in this room, again, even a, a talk like this, which can be weighty, I pray that we would each and all be marked by joy. As we go through our 
daily living, even when things are difficult, maybe even especially when things are difficult. I pray there would be a deep and underlying joy that's rooted in our relationship with you, that's not shaken by circumstances, by difficulties, by tribulations, and by disappointments. So Holy Spirit, would you fill each one of us and send us out in the name of Jesus. Amen. You guys are good to go. See you all next week.